Hi guys, thanks for listening to this episode. We really appreciate all of the support and staying alongside the audio to now visual component of Beans Without Boundaries. Uh, going forward with the second season, we do have like an, a little bit of increase of cost. So we set up a little donation thing through Buy Me A Coffee. It's a little website that if you're willing to just splurge, there's an option for being able to just buy me a coffee. It also gives me a good idea if you really are enjoying our content and would like to help support and continue it. The link will be in the description underneath the YouTube video. It's also going to be in the description for Apple Podcasts and um, Spotify Podcasts as well. Uh, Whichever platform uh, would be greatly appreciated to just continue following along the journey and whatever you're willing to just kind of help with feedback, whether it's comments on the videos or just going on social media. Um, And if you're feeling typically generous, It'd be great to just throw a coffee my way. Thanks for listening in and until next time. So I was really looking forward to our conversation because we have talked uh, briefly a little bit about each other in the beginning of last year well i think it was Uh like towards late last year yeah starting in august Mm -hmm. with the coffee roasters guild retreat right yeah that's where we met and then i really enjoyed like the the tidbits of stories that i did hear from you and i was like i wonder what because like it really threw me for a loop like some of the stuff that you told me and i was like wow that's okay. interesting wow i really think that she'd have Ooh. really cool like experiences and stories within the coffee world then and i'm like okay mm-hmm. let's see if she's interested in coming on to the show so i reached out and you're here and now i'm excited to hear about your story good for you for getting beans without boundaries taking off that <laughs> takes a lot of courage and dedication great job (laughs) but i think you're doing great so um i was so i would say i started on my coffee path in 2007 and that was because uh i was shifting careers out of a out of a corporate job and uh, that brought about some reflection on, um, you know, what do I really want to do? And I re- and at the same time, my husband's friend was sending messages, sending emails from um, places like Guatemala and Tanzania saying how he was buying coffee from the women and paying them premiums to, to help them improve their livelihoods. I'm like, wait a minute. He's doing development. And that's what I always wanted to do was like be in economic development in developing countries. Um, Like, you know, way back when I envisioned working for the United Nations or something like Mm -hmm. that. Um, And so turns out this friend of my husband's is in coffee. He owns a coffee roasting company in Portland called Portland Roasting. Mm-hmm. His name is Mark Stell. And he was doing stuff like trying to start a coalition of coffee roasters who would track their progress on sustainable uh, sustainability development goals. All the goals that the United Nations was trying to get companies to pay attention to. He tried this is back in 2007. He was trying to get coffee companies to pay attention to those all this to say, this friend of our family was kind of on the cutting edge of sustainability yeah. and gender and direct trade, like a lot of that stuff. He was really doing it already. And and I was fascinated. And so I was like, well, how can I learn more about this? And he suggested I go to SCA, the SCA mm-hmm. Expo. So I did. My first one was in 2007 in Anaheim. And I have to say, I was pretty hooked. I was like, oh my gosh, this is such an interesting industry. Mm -hmm. I have to figure this out. Between 2007 and 2009, I decided to start my coffee company, Artisan Coffee Imports. Um, 
But for the first five years, we were focused on decaffeinated coffee. Oh, that's interesting. Um, and that's because, yeah, that it's kind of unique. Uh, the reason is because that's what I drink. I, mm. I have always been a decaf coffee drinker, but I was concerned about why it didn't taste as good as the other coffees. And I learned by, by going to all these seminars at SCA that there wasn't actually a good reason other than the supply chain was not paying very much attention mm. to the quality of decaf coffees. People, people were taking old beans, year old beans, decaffeinating them and even selling them in specialty coffee stores. And so I said, well, that sounds like a niche to me. And so the way I got started was I was basically curating decaffeinated coffees that other people had already imported to the U.S. I was not actually moving containers across oceans. Um, but fast forwarding some more, I, I really wanted to get deeper knowledge on, on how to do how to import coffee in a way that supports um the, the populations in coffee producing countries. So I signed up for a master's degree at Michigan State University in community sustainability. Mm. And that enabled me a, a huge breakthrough opportunity to go live and work in Rwanda. Wow. Um, because my graduate advisor um, graduate school advisor, he had a huge history of working with farmers in Rwanda, in Burundi. And so he was tapped by USAID, a very large funder, to, to do another coffee project in Rwanda and Burundi. Mm -hmm. And I just happened to be lucky enough to be in the right place at the right time to be on his team of researchers. Wow. Um, so I was only getting paid like 20 bucks an hour as a graduate student researcher. But I was like, this is so cool. Right, the I'm going to leave my day job. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to leave my day job and take my family to Rwanda for a year so that I can be like front and center on the ground on this project. And uh, it was so exciting. I loved every minute of it. Um, and, and I, that really helped me get to meet coffee farmers, mm -hmm. lots of coffee cooperatives. I went to at least 16 while I lived there that year. And, and I basically, um, you know, decided to start sourcing coffee, moving coffee in containers across the ocean because I found some coffee there that I thought this story is so exciting. Mm -hmm. Roasters in North America will love this. So that was 2016 that wow. I was um, first started moving containers. So that means we are in our like seventh year now of, yeah. of moving coffee. Um, so it, now, so that's how things have evolved. I will say that how this is different than what I thought is when I was starting the master's degree, which is, as many of you and, and your audience will know, there were a lot of tuition bills that mm -hmm. me and my family were looking at. And I'm like trying to rationalize, why am I paying all this money for all these tuition bills? And I was like, because I think if I can get this degree, I will be able to get a job as a sustainability officer at a coffee company. Mm. Like, I think I just don't have enough, um, you know, academic credentials as someone who knows the current stuff on sustainability for like a coffee roasting company to tap Ruth Ann as a, Hey, you, yeah, you'd be great for a, a sustainability officer for our roasting company. Um, so I, I thought I was going to get the credential that I needed to, to land like a coffee sustainability job. And as you can see at this point, that still hasn't really happened. <laughs> and, and so I've, you know, I've just kind of gone with it and said, well, well, maybe this is the way it's supposed to, this is, I am doing a lot of what I wanted to do all along, which is 
I know where the money goes mm-hmm. by being an importer. I know where the money goes by being a small importer. I can have a lot of hands-on say in where the money goes and, and do my best to understand, you know, whether that's having an impact and whether we need to change. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't say we do it perfect, but um, you know, that's, that is why I'm doing what I'm doing today and, and how it's a little different than what I thought it was going to be when I first started that master's degree. <laughs> Based off of that, what, at what point did it start to transition into you working wanting, uh, specifically with the women farmers? Yes. Great question. Um, it happened when, so I was in Rwanda, living in Rwanda, visiting the different cooperatives and the one cooperative where I was giving some training, uh, I have this training called lean at origin that I offer to producer groups at origin. So I was at the cooperative giving this training and some women and the manager of the cooperative said, well, on the break, we want to show you our women's plot of coffee trees. And I was like, Oh, this sounds interesting. So we walk outside the gate and over to the, this is the Copacama cooperative and the Ajo Haza president and one of her officers showed me their plot of about, I'm guessing maybe a hundred or 200 trees. And what blew my mind is they were doing experiments. Mm. They had split the plot in half and they were testing whether some new ideas for mulching and weeding would help save money for the women, for the farmers, compared to the kind of the standard best practices that the government was always proposing. Um and, and they were not just doing it for one year. They had already been doing this for like three years. Oh, wow. So they were, seeing, they were seeing whether doing these weeding and mulching practices year after year, you know, did it impact the quality of the coffee? Did it hurt the tree or was the tree actually even healthier? Mm-hmm. And there was no NGO or, you know, multinational company involved in this. This was just a cooperative that had a pretty smart agronomist trying to help the women make more money off their coffee. And, and I was like, wow, this is such a great story. Mm-hmm. If your coffee actually cups well, I would, I'm sure there are roasters in North yeah. America who would love to buy this coffee. And, and that ended up being the case. I cupped their coffee. It was like an 86 plus. Wow. And I, and, and so that is our age Ojeza coffee. That is still a, kind of like a flagship brand for artisan coffee. A mm-hmm. lot of companies have been buying Ajo Haza for a lot of years. Wow. Um, so, so that, and, and so I would say that was the, um, the thing that pushed me into buying women's coffee. Mm-hmm. And then, and then there were a number of things that kept me going in that direction. One being my background understanding that when you pay women well, you get multiples on economic development. So like if you pay a woman a dollar versus paying a man a dollar, you get like twice as much benefit by paying the dollar to the women. (laughs) No offense to the men. Sorry. (laughs) And, And I'm using, you know, very big, broad generalities here, but, um, there are lots of papers written and research, very credible research that investing in women, if your goal is to, you know, raise all boats in a community is a very wise investment because on average, they will spend more of that money on the things that really lead to long-term development, like good nutrition, Mm -hmm. education for the children, um, uh, the priorities you know, are different. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, so for so that was part of me. I was like, okay, so they've got women growing coffee, um, and then I asked, could I pay a premium that you would then make sure goes directly to the women? Right. 
And the cooperative said, yes, we'll do that. And I said, good. And by the way, I'm going to make very, I'm going to be very careful that you are paying it to the right. women. So don't be surprised when I tell you, I want you to send me a bank receipt mm-hmm. showing these number of um, either dollars or Rwandan franc were transferred to this specific bank account. And, and I made enough visits back, you know, year after year to be able to talk to the women and make mm-hmm. sure they had gotten the money. And um, so now it's become a pretty expected and understood practice mm-hmm. that artisan is going to require this 13 cents per pound of exported green coffee to get deposited in the women's account. Wow. That's amazing though. Yeah. And we've, it's gone through different evolutions as to what the women do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, our, our only criteria as artisan is that the women's group votes on how they will use it in a meeting where all the women, where all the members of the group are there. Wow. I love that. It's very diplomatic. Yeah. yeah. And I hope it's, I hope it removes some of the like, what what do I know about how they really need to spend that money? Right. right. Yeah. Do they want it. It's often they invested in their coffee, which is great. Mm-hmm. If, if that's what the women want to do. Great. But um, I've also been a proponent of why don't you just divide it up per kilogram and give every woman another, you know, extra bunch of cash in her hand. Right. Because because I trust she's going to spend that money very well in her household and in mm-hmm. her community. Um, so I, so that's another element is just, you know, letting each group of women uh, decide for themselves how that money gets spent. I'm curious um, when yeah. it comes to that, um, when they have meetings as a community, is it, mm-hmm. is it mostly older women or are there younger children also involved that get a chance to see the influence of what you're creating. Cause that's a really influential. You're basically teaching a lot mm-hmm. of community building and leadership skills. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we hope, I would say we're supporting it. Um, you know, as like my story with Ajo Hayza shows mm-hmm. the cooperative already had the foresight to create a women's group right. and give the women land. Mm-hmm. So, so that shows a lot of leadership on the, for the leaders of the cooperative and we just come along and say, Hey, that's great. We're going to like give that a little turbo shot. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, and it was kind of a turbo shot. I have to say, because the women's group grew from about 250 members to about 470 members today. Wow. And, and I think a lot of that is because, you know, word travels. Oh, you can get a little bit Mm -hmm. more money if you're in that group. You know, people find out about that. I would say it's it's not the the leaders of the women's groups are usually not the oldest women and not the youngest women. Okay. Um they're often kind of the 40 30 something 40 something women. Like I I've often been impressed like the president when of Ajo Hazel when I first met her, I think she had one child and was pregnant and then the next year she had two children the next year she's pregnant again, you know, they're, they're in childbearing Mm -hmm. family growing age while they're leading these farmer groups. It's quite impressive. Um, and then, um, uh, but there are a lot of elderly women in the group. And so some of this is going to be very specific to Rwanda. Um, you know, there was the genocide in 1994, yeah. So a lot of the oldest women in the um, groups are widows. They wow. are the women who lost so many of their family members, including their husbands. And very often these 60 years and older women, mm-hmm. coffee is their only income. Yeah. They they can no longer hold down a job. They can't. They, they're done trying to grow potatoes and um, beans. So like once a year they pick their coffee and they get some coffee income. And so they're really dependent on it. Yeah. And, and so one thing I've done is encourage the women to think about like, like one cooperative, um, they wanted 
to take all of Artisan's premium and turn it into a, a project fund where women could apply for money and and get their project funded, you know, which is, I don't, I'm, for the most part, that's great. Mm-hmm. But I said, you know, if you're a 60-year-old woman and coffee is your only income, those projects, you, you are not interested in starting a new project to, like, start a tailoring business. Yeah, it's a or, big investment. Right. Um, you just would, but you would love to get a little bit more money mm-hmm. for your coffee charity. And so I asked them to consider putting at least some of their money aside for the vulnerable women in their groups. Yeah. Not, not necessarily age-based because that mm-hmm. would be discrimination, right. but they know who are the ones who are really at risk. Right. And, and, and so they, I was really um, appreciative that they decided to do that. They, they had their general assembly and they agreed that, you know, something like 10% of the premium was going to be set aside mm-hmm. to help their vulnerable members. Right. Um, and then the young ones, um, I have seen the premiums motivate younger women to, to give their coffee a little more love and, and try to make this coffee into a thing. Yeah. Um, one of the one of my favorite stories is of Betty, who again she's now she's a member of the Ajo Hazel group. Mm-hmm. When I first met her, she was I don't know if she was a member of Copacama, but she was a worker. So okay. I first met her as a staff person at the cooperative. Like she was at the reception when farmers were bringing cherries. She was one of the people taking down the the records. And then later on, I heard, you know, a couple of years later, I hear, oh, now, now Betty is a member and she'd love you to see her coffee trees. <laughs> so then I went to the area where her coffee trees are and they were great. They were like some of the most healthy, beautiful trees I'd ever seen. And turns out she had just bought a new plot and she had like 400 trees, not just 100 or 200 like wow. a lot of the other women so she mm-hmm. was investing in coffee and then the next thing i hear she's become an officer of age ohaza now she's now she's in charge of loan documentation wow. for their their lending group um so it's it's been fun to see some of those younger women who who are seeing coffee become more and more professional and and important in their lives it's such an intimate process. I feel like, especially over the span of years, you've watched and participated in the, in the growth of these cooperatives, and I feel like that yeah. is such a gratifying, like a gratifying thing to probably live through your life. Yeah, it it truly is. I I really appreciate um, the opportunity, mm-hmm. um, you know, to feel a little bit like a mentor or a teacher. Um, you know, I still have so much gratitude for the people who mentored and taught me, mm-hmm. especially the ones who, who agreed to take me along on their project to Rwanda yeah. back in 2015. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, I would love to, um, to do the same for others. Right. Um, right. And I've found some ways to do that. Another way Artisan Coffee has found to do that is to host an internship every year um and so and so the internship is at origin Mm -hmm. and it's for uh right now we only have it in rwanda and so we hire a young rwandan female graduate of college who's interested in the coffee industry but hasn't been able to find a job Mm. which which is something i kept seeing over and over once i lived there right i was like meeting these very talented 22, 23 year olds who were finishing their degrees and, and then not finding work. Right. And, and you can, and I also saw very often, you know, not that it's a, there, there is a, a, a strong cultural pressure to start your family at yeah. about 22, 23 years old. So you can imagine with that cultural pressure, it's, it's very easy to get kind of pulled off track and just say, well, maybe coffee isn't the right thing for me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I could use help as a, as an importer, 
the industry needs these talented people in the industry. Right. Maybe with an internship, I can help at least a couple of these talented women with college degrees get into coffee. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, five, 10 years from now, they're going to be the leaders here in Rwanda. Um, so we are now on our third internship. <laughs> wow, that's great. So our, our, I'm very happy to share that our first intern is chief of production at Copacama. So she's, and her name is Grace Asiro. She's, she's just phenomenal. I think she'll be the minister of agriculture someday. Wow. Um, and it was really kind of, she helped me create this, right? We were like, she was my translator. We were driving hours and hours across Rwandan countryside. And I'm like, gosh, I really need someone who like could help artisan mm-hmm. on the ground. And she's like, I really need a job. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, so there's a way we can make this work. <laughs> so she was the guinea pig and now she is um, fully employed by the cooperative. And then our second intern worked at a different cooperative and she has also been hired not in a permanent position, but in in a really important internship that's related, that's paid by the cooperative, not Mm -hmm. by me. So that's, that's good. You know, it's, it's not an external group like mine paying her now. It is the cooperative, but they're called, and it's an internship related to software. They are trying to get their heads around how can we, you know, get more of our information into computers and into software and off of paper and books. So she's helping in that. That's her new job. That's amazing. And, and our current intern, she's in the middle of her internship. It's, it's 2023. So she'll um, go January through December of this year. And she's at a third uh, cooperative. So even a different one than the first two. Mm -hmm. And I'm, We'll see where she ends up going. <laughs> That's amazing. Wow. It's also amazing to know a lot more about Artisan and what it does. Okay. And, because I feel like for the most part, importing companies have a synopsis of what they do and what they stand for, but never really mm-hmm. fully divulge into like the semantics and all of the nuances and all of the people and building relationships and like obviously where the heart of that lies. So it's like, this has been yeah. beautiful to listen to. And it's, it's genuinely so nice to know where like it all came from. Yeah. It's also a Thank part. Thank you. Well, no, go ahead. I, I would just say it's, it is beautiful to have this opportunity. Like yeah. usually at a trade show or something, you don't have time to tell all mm-hmm. these stories. So thank you to you and your <laughs> listeners for listening to all these stories. Yeah. No, it's also, it, it opens a, a door that I obviously haven't really had a chance to explore until now with interest mm-hmm. of development like that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow, I would have never thought, it's it you as a person never feel like you can actually benefit somebody else in a sense but like you're, it's hard yeah. it's like, like you're what can I do, right? exactly so it's like you're proving yeah. that you and obviously a team of many people involved and the, exactly the numbers yeah. that you said from like 200 to like 470 like that's an astronomical like double almost double and a half of what you started off with so that's amazing with how far the development has been going and I'm to transition from that, I'm really interested then. Mm-hmm. You you mostly do work with the women cooperatives. How has yeah. that chemistry with that worked in relation to a lot of coffee farmers that are owned by men and operated that way? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. how is those relationships in tied? And I know that obviously importing from Africa, there's a lot of legalities and things involved. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we, so first at the cooperative and farmer level, um, I've been surprised with how supportive, at least in Rwanda, Mm -hmm. the men are, you know, maybe they're just supportive when they talk to me, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, there seems to be a genuine understanding that, that women have, faced unequal 
obstacles right and and we can support them to overcome them in in these various different ways mm-hmm. um and and thus you know before i even came on the scene a cooperative voted to a create a women's group and right. b grant land to these women and it's it's kind of the same understanding that we're seeing now happen with youth groups right farmers are have generally understood that the average age of farmers is is getting very high mm-hmm. we need to do something to encourage youth and so these same cooperatives are voting to create youth groups and voting to um dedicate land for farmers 30 years and younger to, to do what, you know, to learn the craft. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's, it's just kind of um, there, if I can kind of jump forward to um, a book I recently read called um, I am a girl from Africa. The, she was a speaker at the IWCA breakfast at mm-hmm. SCA Expo. So some people who were at SCA Expo might have been there and heard her speak. Um, she, she helped create a United Nations campaign called He for She. Mm-hmm. So hashtag He for She. Mm-hmm. And I think that little phrase captures what I see in Rwanda quite a bit. There's a lot of men who just know that it's it's in their country's best interest, it's in their community's best interest to be supporting the women in their community. Does that make some sense? Does yeah. that answer your question? No, that does make sense. Um, yeah. Wow. I mean, that's really nice to hear considering I would imagine not everybody's like that. That's right. And it might be... It's and I shouldn't, you know, sugarcoat it and make it sound like there's no gender discrimination mm-hmm. left in in rural Rwanda because that's certainly not the case either. Um, the Rwanda, uh, in general, has quite um, gender equity is pretty high on the scale of gender equity. They're probably ranked higher than the United States on some global United Nations scale wow! <laughs> because they have in their constitution that every legal entity like their Congress must be at least one third women. And, and they've been far above one third female for quite a long time. Wow. But that is, that goes all the way down to like the local level, every government group that means our city council's Mm -hmm. level in the u.s in the u.s would be comparable is legislated that must be at least one-third female representatives can you imagine (laughs) i wish i wish i could imagine that actually the fact that i can't is really sad (laughs) exactly wow i mean in some ways it's things you can do when you're a small country total Mm. population of 11 million right right but but it shows where some of this general cultural support for gender is is going to come from um but again i still see quite a disparity myself when i'm in the city versus when i'm in the rural areas and and it there is still a lot of like, like I have still yet to see a female running a depulping machine. I will, I will be so happy to write a blog and come on lots of podcasts when I can finally get more females running the depulping machines. Like, you know, there's still yeah. these real stereotypes of who can run machines versus who can, um, you know, spend eight hours a day sorting the sorting out the defects. Right. You know, it's the women who can sort the defects, but it's the men who can run the machines. And you know which one gets paid more. (laughs) Yeah, that's, yeah. Um, (laughs) So at this point, where do you want to see Artisan go? Or do you have like personal development things that you like want to invest in and want to grow Mm -hmm. and start? Mm Interesting. Great question, Alina. Um, 
Um, like I said, I would love to, I, I hope that Artisan is helping more and more women at origin mm-hmm. get into the professional levels of coffee. Right. So right. that, um, like I feel fortunate. We work with a, um, a freight forwarding company that whose CEO and founder is female. Great. When I first found out about prime international carriers, I was like, Oh my gosh, this is great. There's, <laughs> there's a woman who's taken this on and she's going to be in charge of a trucking company. This is awesome. Um, and, and so I, I hope that there can be more opportunities where, you know, whether we just contract with them as a supplier or whether through our internships, we start seeing more women in those non-traditional roles, whether it's trucking or exporting or running the depulping machine or being the manager of the cooperative. Mm-hmm. Um, fortunately, we are seeing quite a few more female agronomists. That's good. Which is another area where it hasn't been prevalent and, and I think will help a lot. You know, yeah. female farmers are more likely to listen to a female agronomist. Just that's my guess. I don't know. Um, and so that's, that's one area. Um, we also are passionate at Artisan about understanding cost of production just because that that is such a, a a key crystal to having farmers be paid a proper amount like if if the local if the cooperative understands what is coffee cost of production and and the far then the farmer is more likely to understand that and then they're more likely to ask for a price that mm-hmm. covers their actual costs and and all of these things can snowball into to better livelihoods and better margins for for everyone involved. Um, so we're very much on the bandwagon of of many of the nonprofit groups, and um, j- there are a lot of different groups working on cost of production yeah. and understanding cost of production, and we love to support that whenever we can. Um, so I, I think that might be two areas that we really feel like are our strengths in the sustainability. You know, we support anything that's sustainability and how is artisan unique today and unique in the future, Mm -hmm. maybe with this focus on cost of production and the focus on moving more women into the professional levels. Yeah. So do you happen to have any stories uh, during your journey, I mean, like you've, you've mm-hmm. gone through a lot during this journey where they've impacted you and, and stuck with you. I, I imagine there's probably a bunch that you could choose, but yeah. I'm curious that if it's like what, what in moments or what circumstances have really impacted your uh, journey and how have they influenced a lot of your decision making and like obviously your viewer perspective of the industry. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's a great question. <laughs> Um, well, I, you know, the story of Grace helping me start the internship Mm -hmm. is is certainly one answer to that question. Like without her being as persistent about like, I could, I remember saying, wow, she's, she's gone to all these great lengths. Like, even though she's just had a child, uh, her second child, she's like made a point to meet with me, you know, kind of turned her life upside down so that she can be at my translator for one week. Mm-hmm. And she wants to do more. And she's telling me she would work for no salary if artisan would just pay her expenses because she wants to get into the coffee industry yeah. so bad. that's all driven by passion and initiative and yeah right so it was her passion and me being able to to see it so clearly by you know i guess traveling together for uh, a week or so as as business colleagues 
um, that I was like, wow, you know, that's, there's something to this, right? Mm -hmm. I can't just ignore that, that she is that committed and that passionate. Um, And so that would definitely be one example of that. Um, And, and I would say we, I heard that and found that in the next two women that have been become artisans interns. Um, One of them is Alice. She also had, had studied and was so passionate about how much she enjoyed like um i think it was a school project or mm-hmm. some very small project where she had been able to go out to the country and work with farmers and and she felt like she had been valuable like helping them get some new knowledge or something and she was like that was just so amazing i really want to do that mm-hmm. i want to do more of that and um and an artisan's internship was a way for her to have a role out in those rural communities again, even though her family and the rest of her life were in Kigali in the capital city. Mm. You know, so it's kind of like, I think an analogy might be some kid in, in New York City saying, but no, I really want to work with the farmers in upstate New York. Wow. <laughs> and, and someone believing them that that's mm-hmm. really what they want to do and giving them that shot to to prove that, yep, they're willing to go up to upstate New York and, and work with farmers. <laughs> <laughs> um, or maybe in your context, Alina, like someone from downtown Columbus saying, no, I really will go to, you know, the border area with West Virginia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, but I'm trying to think of other stories. Um, What I, in terms of talking to farmers, so I've talked to you about people who have professional roles. Farmers are are really, um, really get you at your heartstrings too. And um, like, I love the story of one Ajo Hayes, a farmer. Um, Her name happens to be Grace also. It's a very common name in in Rwanda. She has 11 children. Mm. And, and she's one of their biggest farmers with, you know, so many trees. Um, I think it's like maybe 2000 trees now. And, um, and, and like a couple years back, she had just planted more trees. So she was so excited about the new young trees she had planted. Um, and, and how the trees were going to help her, the coffee was going to help her you know, get a metal roof instead of a thatch roof on her house. And, you know, two years before she had been able to put in a cement floor. So they had a cement floor, not a dirt floor in their house, you know, and when you hear these stories, you're like, wow, this is, this is good. I'm glad coffee is having these impacts. Right. Yeah. I feel like, um, Specifically also, like people have an image of what farming and producing countries are like. And I mean, I also don't want to feed into the romanticization of what coffee does for producers. And like we as people who live in America never really fully understand all of the complications that they have to go through. But it's it's still like it's a humbling experience. I feel like it's important to be humbled by what we take for granted every day as a privilege. Um, And then you see it in real other live values of people who genuinely will take the smallest things in life for absolute just life altering things in their daily life. Um, Yeah. I guess like if there were people considering you do so many different things for artisan that I never actually thought of, I guess like if, and I'm actually very inspired by this story. It makes me very curious about development in countries, especially with coffee production. Like I would have never thought of this as an avenue to get interested by, but now I'm like, wow, I want to learn so much about this. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I guess like I'm also asking this from personal interest. What would be Mm -hmm. somebody like myself possibly who would mm-hmm. actually want to be very much interested in doing this in the future? Like, what would your advice be? Right. 
Right. Oh my gosh. Um, well, you'll, you will want to kind of put out there in the universe that somehow someday I want to go to origin, mm. right? Mm-hmm. That, that learning by immersion is, is so super valuable. It's like, you know, learning on steroids when you're overseas yeah. and can actually talk to people and see things that you can only do when you're there. Right. Um, so, so hopefully some cool opportunities come. I know you've won a scholarship before, so I <laughs> bet you could win another scholarship. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, so getting to origin is, is certainly one thing mm-hmm. and, and, and then start, um, the, start finding your um, your affinity group that that is stateside located. Like, um, like I don't know. Maybe there's some some group at the university in Columbus that um, you know, you, without being a student, you can um, you know develop some relationships. I'm thinking of a sister city. Like different times in my life. Uh, life I've been involved in a sister city relationship Mm. um, where it's just like my city had a relationship with a city in Nicaragua. And so we were learning about that and um, we did some fundraising in my city to help fund a microcredit program in Nicaragua. Um, So you might just see if there's some like things around your city that Mm -hmm. are connecting to places that happen to be coffee producing right. countries. Um, does any of that sound helpful? No, it I'm is. Yeah. That. I would have, okay. uh, I didn't even know sister cities was a thing. So yeah, I think that what you're saying is helpful for me too. Um, maybe, exi- maybe it exists. I don't know. Um, and, and then in the coffee world, you know, there's some great organizations like um, today, if I can put in a plug Go grounds ahead. for health, Grounds for Health is a wonderful nonprofit. They do uh, cervical cancer screening for women in the coffee lands. And today is and tomorrow is their auction. So a bunch of importers, we're one of them, have donated green coffee. People can like over thirty the next thirty six hours bid on um, the coffees that are mm-hmm. listed on the Grounds for Health auction. And, and since those, that coffee is donated, all that money that you pay for the coffee will go to Browns for Health so they can do more um, cervical cancer screening in all the places where they do that. Um, and, and so there are some groups like that, Browns for Health, um, uh, International Women Coffee Alliance, and um, Cafe Feminino are three that come to mind mm-hmm. of, you know, coffee specific groups that are trying to do things at origin to mm-hmm. benefit women. Yeah. Um, and there's probably more, you mm-hmm. know, there's, that's, that is one of the cool things about specialty coffee. I think is there so, Oh wait, like women in coffee project. Yeah. Sorry. I, that I think I've connected you with them before. That's yeah. Like I literally that talked the most obvious to one. Amaris. <laughs> On one of these episodes, yeah. and she's a beautiful spirit and love loved everything. Right. Like her her story too was also like wild how she got to where she's got at this point when it came yes. to that nonprofit. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. Yes, no, Amaris is amazing, and and those those are the people that you, as someone who's interested, mm-hmm. you'll just kind of have your eyes open. And when you meet them, you'll, you'll say, Oh, this is someone I want to learn more. Yeah. From. It sounds like you already have. So good for you. Yeah. I definitely <laughs> like, especially at this point in my life personally, like just want to be surrounded by extremely inspirational people. Um, mm-hmm. and just who motivate me to what can I do to make a difference? What can I do to, like learn more and about knowledge like she was she was talking about how much she just like has a hunger and curiosity for knowledge and I'm just like I love that because I wish people were more curious more eager to learn and more uh, 
there's a lot of anticipation mm-hmm. and within like wanting to learn about things and I'm just yeah I just I I'm I'm constantly looking for resources and people and building a community and um yeah I just feel like every single time I talk to a lot of these women too it's always like okay so a lot of the community that I want to be built with is in this industry so it's like nice to know that like I keep finding remnants of you're in the right place at the right time and you're on your right journey. Are you still interested in growing the Arab American community of oh. coffee, especially coffee roasters? Uh, I wish I got this question more often. Oh my God. You know, that still exists. That is a huge, huge thing for me. Um, uh, it's really interesting because it, there's uh, this it's like I don't obviously have much resource with sourcing people for this kind of thing but it's always like something I constantly keep an eye out on I'm like okay can I find women who are Arab or Arab American and highlight them and get to meet them and build a relationship with them so that's definitely something I genuinely want to like you were talking about finding a niche finding affinity i'm like okay so if there was anything that i could do i feel like that would be exactly the kind of uh thing forefront that i'd want to focus on and try and do it on such an intimate personal level (laughs) by uplifting these women and hearing their stories like what we're doing right now um but yeah i absolutely would love to do that because it's like it's it, it incorporates like my heritage it incorporates a lot of like certain things that are so particular with being first generation American or like understanding mm-hmm. so many um, facets of the Arabic culture and identity and, and all inclusion and different things that um, like if I always was really interested in Yemen when it came to the coffee production part like i was like if there's anything and i had said that during the retreat there if there's anything that i've realized is that Mm -hmm. i don't know anything about what it's like over there i obviously have no idea what it's like from the coffee production standpoint but it's like i don't know anybody who knows anything about yemen either and it was like okay so this is really something i would okay so, so it's like certain things where I'm like, oh, I would love the window to do it. And I remember meeting um, somebody during the retreat and I was telling them this and um, mm-hmm. they were also Arab and they were like, I don't advise you do that, actually, because it's not safe oh. for women. And I'm like, OK, but that's even more incentive for me to try because <laughs> for me, I'm like, I guess I don't get scared by challenge. Like, I'm like, OK, well, then that yeah. means that like if someone's not going to do it out of fear, no one's going to do it at all. And that shouldn't yeah, like stop yeah. somebody from trying to bring forth knowledge or in, enlighten the truth or the reality of the situation that they face over there. And mm-hmm. it, it's like, I'm also not ignorant to danger and war and right. suffering in the Middle East in the first place. But yeah, you're um, not going to be naive, but it's I, I hear you saying it's not it's not a reason not to try to right. do something in a safe way. Right. Yeah. I think that if it's obviously something that isn't going to happen overnight, this is probably something that'll be the extent of my career within the coffee industry that I would love to nurture and grow and build. But it's like, I have to start with making relationships with people. Like I have to start with understanding where I can find the resources to do this. Like I can't just like not try. Mm-hmm. Especially because yeah. like coffee yeah. in the Arabic world is so ingrained in our culture there's so much history about it there's just like and a lot of people when i i remember when i was talking to some of the people at the retreat they're like oh i didn't know that about yemeni coffee and i was like yeah i know there's so much stuff that we don't know about the coffee and like what's going on on the the forefront down there and i didn't know any of this until i i read the port of mocha the book by mokhtar and I yes. was just like, I was just like, see, this is a this is a person who went against the odds. His whole journey, he was like, yeah, I escaped death to do this. And then he's like, and I'm still mm-hmm. continuing to do this. He's doing a lot of that development. Um, and yep. I'm like, see, that's so inspirational. We need more people so, doing this. Let me, yeah, let me ask this, Ilya. Do you do you speak you speak fluent Arabic, right? Like that was your home language growing up. Or not. So since I did grow up in America, I don't speak much 
Arabic. I mean, I can. Okay. It's something that like, okay. I also grew up in Ohio. There's not that big of an Arabic community That's here. Right. And it's like, uh, I'm also okay. yeah. Iraqi and there's not a lot of Iraqis in in Ohio either. There's it's 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 it does have an Arabic population, okay. but it's more dense of like Palestinians and Jordanians and Lebanese people, and those are different dialects too. Um, but okay. yeah, I fluently understand Arabic. So wh- one reason I ask is, but you do understand fluently. Oh, okay. Yeah, good. That's good because <laughs> when I perceive when I read books like uh, The Monk of Mocha mm. is how powerful his language mm-hmm. understanding and his ability to understand and speak the mm-hmm. local language is a powerful piece of how he was able to do yeah. what he did. Um, and and I, maybe I'm just a little oversensitive to that because I don't speak Kenya Rwanda yeah with the local language in Rwanda and I keep trying I I I have my like five sentences (laughs) um but it's it's such a handicap you know I just relive how big a handicap the language is every time I'm there and um and and can imagine how having the local language is a huge um benefit yeah uh if you do have it i was that's all my only point yeah no i feel like um to piggyback off of that it's it's also like as somebody who i know you're tight on time so i won't i won't drag this okay but uh (laughs) it's sort of like a self journey back to my people and my heritage and obviously i'm not yemeni i'm not a yemeni woman however it's like right the arabic world and the muslim world specifically is all like one unity so it's like for me it's like okay Mm -hmm. if i was to really go for forward with this it's like i get to revisit myself my people my heritage and i get to understand myself as a person and what an arabic woman is like and like live like it it would it's just all interconnected in a way and it's like that makes what i'm doing my career even deeper and more in tune with myself and it's not just like a paycheck that I go home with it's like what I'm doing actually matters to me it matters to my my legacy it matters to my integrity and all these different things and that's all I kind of want to like do yeah yeah no I I think it's going to be interesting to see where you take this um just part partly because I love your own passion for this area but also because the specialty coffee world is really like loving Yemen mm-hmm. and everyone loves Ethiopian coffee, don't right. they? Uh, <laughs> and uh, well, that's it. But that I don't know. Ethiopia probably isn't even though it's right next door to Yemen. It's not considered part of the Arabic world, is it? Ethiopia is no, Ethiopia uh, considered part of West the- Africa. Ha- West African Muslims too, like West Africa and the Middle East have had a very interesting uh, interconnected relationship with identity. Mm. Like Egypt, okay, Egyptians, like we would consider, I don't want to do a general thing over the internet, but like, oh, we better not. <laughs> I was like, mm, I mean, yes. I, that's probably not a good idea. But yeah, I don't know. I feel like uh, I would consider Ethiopian people African people. Um, sure versus middle eastern people gotcha and and so then let me say my next point which was we see so such growing interest in especially coffee in um places like the emirates wow yeah Um, i know saudi arabia is starting to saudi arabia is starting to invest in this as well yes yes so between between the rise in interest in an origin like Yemen and the you know the hype around specialty coffee, you look like you're dying of laughter. There is this our is this our cue to end this podcast? I'm, <laughs> it's really funny because people can't obviously see what just happened, but the whole mic just fell on the ground. I'm just dying. Oh, I'm no. so sorry. Oh. No, I mean, like, I know you need to to head out. So this might actually be like, hey, I she do. needs to leave. How about you end the, the conversation? Time, time to wrap this up. But very interesting. I think what I was getting to is 
this sounds like to be continued in another oh, chapter, please. another day. <laughs> I would love to have you back on and we can discuss this more because I feel like awesome. there's so much I can learn from you, honestly. Oh, thank you. But likewise, likewise, <laughs> we've only scratched the surface of what Alina is going to share. <laughs> well, thank you for coming on here. Um, I loved having you on here. I'm really glad I got a chance to know more about your 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 brand and your business and I got a, to know a lot about you and your story getting there but I also I'm so excited to have you back and like talk more about different things and I'm yeah I'm just like glad you were here great well thank you uh let's do it and <laughs> really appreciate the opportunity to share my story mm -hmm. and be part of beans without boundaries Without boundaries. I was yeah. trying to think of the middle word. Beans without <laughs> boundaries. Go, keep it up. <laughs> thank you. Well, you have a great rest of your night. All right. Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye. <laughs> I love <laughs> Literally, when the mic, the whole... So, mind you, this this mic stand thing, it, it, it's, it's exactly what you expect a podcast person to have. Like, the whole arch and everything. In the middle of the conversation, it just... <laughs> I try to adjust it, and it just full-on falls into my lap. And I'm like, oh, God. I really hope this doesn't like, just disrupt her, her thought process. And now I'm, like, scared that if I move this, it's going to fall off the table. Wow, so what did we learn today, class? This was a very good, <laughs> this was a very good informative other avenue um, highlighting a different thing that's not usually like thought of when you think of the coffee production world, which is development. Um, sustainability development, I think, is another thing that she was focusing on, too. And I just absolutely ate this up. I was like, wow. Like, I talk about how much I, like, wish I could make a difference doing what I do. And it's like, I also hate the white savior complex. Like, the idea that it's like, oh, I have to go and fix a country. I'm like, no. She was basically reinforcing a lot of the things that, like, they, as a community, decided to take forefront doing. And I was like, oh, shit. This is cool. And obviously, like, I understand um, nonprofit organizations and what they do for the communities that, obviously, they're targeting um, but to go like, to go and, and do that and really nurture those relationships and try and just help reinforce stuff that's been built. I also didn't know much about Rwanda's, um, gender equity, like being so for forward with, um, trying to help women in roles. And I was like, well, that's beautiful to know. I honestly didn't expect that, but I didn't know what to expect. So I didn't have an expectation. Um, but yeah, I think that I would, I would genuinely love to have her back on the show. Majority of all of my people that I have talked to on these episodes would still love to have all of them back. But I think that because she's specifically doing certain things that I honestly am very interested in and I've had a like we've shared many interesting stories together and not just on this episode um i just feel like it also would be able to help me with the niche that i had just mentioned before all that chaos of the mic which is um inclusion in the arabic or the arab american community within the coffee production world and i feel like um that's something that i genuinely want to build where it goes who knows um, but it's something that I genuinely just want to understand and get knowledge on and see what I can do within that and hopefully, like, hopefully build relationships in the community itself that reinforce what we do. And, um, like I was telling her, like a lot of what I want to do as an adult now is just like be surrounded by extremely inspirational people. And it's like, mm, because I understand the Arabic world and the expectations and the cultural standards like Rwanda has those as well with women at a certain age are expected to have been married and, and start bearing children. And it's a lot of that same quality in, in a lot of Muslim conservative countries. Um, but I just, I just see, 
I see like the conversation where it started and I was like, I would love to just blossom in this conversation about it too. So wherever that goes, it goes. But this episode overall is a great highlighting of what somebody who took a chance and a risk going to a different country and fully investing in some, to some, into something where it's a niche that no one would have thought of. Um, because I think decaf is something that people usually really stray away from. And then just like it spontaneously opening up another door towards something that's now her whole business. And I, I'm going to guess that she's going to continue to grow within that and build more relationships with women in Rwanda or wherever she decides to find interest in building those relationships with. 